Over the course of this last week, we saw one tribute after another poured out for a man named Chadwick Boseman, an actor who at the age of 43 died of cancer. And it was heartbreaking to read those tributes and see how sad people were that knew him. And it's even more heartbreaking for us when people die that we know and love, isn't it? When my son was a little guy, I came up to his bedroom one day and there he was with toys around him and tears were running down his cheeks. And I said, Isaiah, what's going on? What's wrong? And he looked at me and he said, you and mom are going to die. I didn't know if that was prophetic or a threat. Um, But really, it was just a kid coming to grips with the fact that we don't live forever and that the two people that he loved the most at that time, that they weren't going to exist on this earth in these bodies forever. And that's true of all of us. right? What are the two things that they say are sure? Death and taxes. Right? But people evade taxes all the time. No, no one evades death. It comes for each and every one of us. And that's not for a lack of trying. Recently, 250 people enrolled in a conference put on by the Alcor Extreme Life Extension Group where they eagerly absorbed all of the latest philosophies and technology related to the preservation of life. One of the researchers there, a man named Robert Fritas, a research scientist for a company called Zyvex, summed up the philosophy of the conference when he said, if you are physically old and don't want to be, then for you, oldness and aging are a disease and you deserve to be cured. Stephen Vacani, a 27-year-old internet entrepreneur, attended the conference and he signed up for Alcor's plan where you pay a $500 annual fee and then they become the beneficiary of your life insurance policy where you pay $180,000 in order to have your body frozen or just $80,000 if you want your head to be frozen. Uh, Stephen, the 27-year-old internet entrepreneur, said this, when it comes to living forever... There's a certain leap of faith you have to take. They don't have all the answers right now, but everything will fall into place. If you want all the answers immediately, you'll never do anything. Can can we agree that these people who put their bodies in the freezer are a bit of a fringe element? Yes, they are, absolutely. Absolutely. But they express a desire to live forever that's in all of us. Every single human being has a desire to live forever because eternity is written within the hearts of men. And so we all have this desire to live forever. And John 3.16 talks about God's plan for us to live forever. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And in this series, we've been looking at this outline of John 3.16 and the four parts of that outline, because we want to know them, but also because John 3.16 can be a great way for us to share the message of Jesus with others. And so we dug in and we looked at the peril described in the passage of perishing in our sins and God's plan to save us from that, sending his one and only son. The pathway, belief in that one and only son. And today we get to look at the prize, the prize of eternal life. Now, a minute ago, I was talking about living forever, 
is that all that eternal life is, is living forever. Can you imagine at your current rate of decay living forever? Wouldn't that be awful? Uh, Somehow eternal life is more than just living forever, isn't it? As a matter of fact, Jesus says it's much, much more than living forever. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says, Now this is eternal life. Don't you love it when he makes it simple like that? Here you go. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life according to Jesus? It's knowing God. It's knowing God. It's not just knowing about God. Note that. It's actually knowing God. When I started dating my wife, I could have made it my mission to know all about her. I could have accumulated a large number of facts. Okay, I I know she doesn't like seafood. I know she likes small dogs. Living that out right now. I could have accumulated all of these different facts about her, enough to write a book on her. But that's different than knowing her. The facts help. But in order to know her, I spent time with her, sat and talked with her, listened to her. And the more facts we know about God, the better, the more helpful that is, but it's not the same as knowing him. And so we enter into relationship with him in which we spend time with him, learning from him in his word, speaking to him in prayer. What is eternal life? It's knowing God. And so when does eternal life start? Jesus says it starts the moment you enter into relationship with God. John chapter 5, verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Jesus says, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus' work has entered into your life and you are now one of God's followers, you have eternal life right here and right now. Right? Do you, do you know God? Are you unsure? Right? Do you know God? If you know God, you have eternal life, don't you? Absolutely you do. So that brings us to the next question. How long does eternal life last? Really? Do we have to ask this question? Sometimes pastors wonder why people fall asleep while they're preaching. Part of it is questions like this, right? That are so obvious that they don't need elaboration. How long is eternal life? It lasts forever, doesn't it? And I know you know that, but I want us to take a minute and think about what that means forever. What does that mean, eternal? You guys know the song Amazing Grace? Within the song Amazing Grace, it says when we've been there, right, in our eternal future with God, when we've been there 10,000 years, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Really? 10,000 years times 365 days That's about 3.65 million days, right? Won't we have 3.65 million less days to sing God's praise? The answer to that is no, because forever minus 3.65 million is still forever. This is an infinite amount of time, which is precisely why God tells us there is nothing more important to spend your 70 or 80 short years on the earth 
doing than getting ready for eternity. It's forever. It's infinite. It's eternal. So spend your few years upon the earth getting ready for eternity. Now, what will our eternity in heaven be like? We could do a whole sermon series on heaven and just scratch the surface of what the Bible has to say about heaven. And if you want to know more about heaven than I'm going to say today, uh, let me commend to you a, a couple of books. Uh, there's a book called One Minute After You Die by a man named Erwin Lutzer, who used to be the president of Moody Bible College. That's a great book on heaven. Or I, I would encourage you to read Heaven, simple title, by Randy Alcorn, and they'll give you more detail than I'm going to be able to do today. But let me hit some of the highlights about what the Bible teaches us about heaven. The first thing I want us to understand is that it'll be the opposite of boring. Sometimes cartoonish understandings about heaven make heaven seem really, really boring. Any of you remember the cartoon, The Far Side? Right? There was a Far Side cartoon in which a guy had entered into heaven, and as he sat on his assigned cloud, said, Boy, I wish I'd brought a magazine. I'm stuck on this cloud for how long? Forever! Doesn't that seem boring? And again, sometimes cartoonish understandings of heaven have us not only on the cloud, but we're playing a harp on our individualized cloud. Oh, that sounds horrible. Forever harp? And, And if we're honest, there might have been times where we've been concerned about heaven being boring because heaven has been described to us as an eternal church service. Any of you ever been a part of a church service that felt like it was going on forever? I've led services like that. And our concern is, wait a minute, this isn't just a service that feels like it's going on forever. This is a service that's going to go on forever. Please turn to hymn number 987 billion, 439 million. Like, what? But God wants to assure us that heaven is not like that. Heaven is not boring in any way. As a matter of fact, the pictures that we get of heaven are very active pictures of people serving, worshiping, ruling over things within heaven. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, God says that our heavenly inheritance is a gift from God that will never perish, spoil, or fade the joy and passion that we have when we enter into the presence of God on day one will last and only increase every day forever. It will never fade. There will never be a time when we are bored in heaven because we will have an opportunity to explore the infinite majesty of God forever and the amazing new creation that he has made for us. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says, Heaven is eternal pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. Imagine the greatest pleasure that you have ever experienced in this world. Heaven will be a successive list of pleasures that you experience far greater than the greatest pleasure that you have ever experienced in this life. One after another. It will be the opposite of boring. I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts it. 
in his kids' series, The Chronicles of Narnia, when he describes that moment when a person passes from this life into their heavenly life. As a good school teacher that he was, he starts, the semester is over. The holidays have begun. The dream has ended. This is the morning. All her life in this world has only been the cover and title page. Now at last she is beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and in which every chapter is better than the one before. What will heaven be like? It will be the exact opposite of boring as we experience that all that God has for us there. One of the reasons that it won't be boring is because we're going to live in a perfect and new creation that God has designed for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 20, says that the creation that we live in right now has been subjected to futility. It doesn't function the way that it was designed to function. Everything in our world is broken. Genesis 3 says there is a curse upon this world because of sin. And so the cells in our body don't function the way they were originally designed to function. The animal kingdom doesn't work the way it was originally designed. Weather doesn't function the way that it was originally meant to work. Nothing works the way it was originally meant to. Instead of the creation functioning as God designed it and as it desires, Romans 8 says, instead, it groans. It it, it groans and desires to be free from what it calls the bondage of this corruption. This world that we live in, it is futile. It is corrupt. And God is designing a new creation for us that will be totally free from that curse of sin. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. When I talk to people about heaven, one of the things that surprises them most is that our eternal existence will actually be on a new earth. And we will be dwelling on this new earth that is totally free from sin and the curse of sin. That has been completely remade by God. As a matter of fact, Revelation 22.3 says, No longer will there be any curse. And because of that, these passages, says, these passages say there will be no more sadness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. Right? An existence without sadness or pain or death. Anyone want that? That sounds pretty good, right? No sadness, no pain, no death. It is impossible for us to fully imagine how much better our experience will be within the new creation of God than it is within this current, broken, futile world. Our our new experiences will be far, far better than the greatest experiences that we've had on this earth. And I've had some pretty great experiences on this earth. I've had the opportunity to stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and just be in awe of all that God has made. I've had an opportunity to ride on a bus through the French Alps holding my wife's hand as we go through all of those jagged snow peaked mountains and just been in awe of the opportunity to sit with my wife and enjoy all that the beauty that God has made. I have held my daughter's hand on her first day of life 
And as I sat there holding that tiny little girl's hand just a few hours after her birth, thought to myself, it cannot possibly get any better than this. Right? We experience some pretty great things in this world. Part of what God wants us to understand is they are pale in comparison to the astounding things that we will experience within the new creation, unhindered by sin and the curse of sin. I I was thinking about this idea as I was going through my news feed, and I saw an article about how far video games have advanced in their graphics. And I clicked on the article, and there were all kinds of examples of these different video games that people play these days. And I was looking at these videos that were linked, and as I looked at some of them, I honestly was like, wait, is that, is that somebody playing a video game, or is that a movie? Because the graphics are so astounding these days. And I couldn't help but think of the first video game that I played. The first video game that I played was called Pong, and you tried to bat the dot back and forth with the lines. Right now, as a kid, I called them paddles, but I I don't know what would make me think those are paddles. They're just lines that bat a dot back and forth. And if your Pong machine was anything like mine, it wasn't real finely tuned, so when you turn it up or down to try and move that line, it would jump around a little bit. Then you'd get all frustrated with the machine and yell at the parent that was playing. Oh, no, maybe that was just my experience. Now, if I tried to give Pong to someone who is used to playing today's video games, what would they say? They'd say, how did you guys ever play something like this? Because the new graphics are so much better than the old graphics. And I want us to understand that what God wants wants us to understand is that when we are in heaven in this new earth with him, this new creation that we will be experiencing is so much better than the marred creation that we are a part of right now. That even our greatest moments, like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon or holding your daughter's newborn hand, they are pong compared to the new reality that God has for us in his new and perfect creation. And we will be able to fully experience all of that new and perfect creation because he's giving us new and perfect bodies 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, These bodies that we currently live in are perishable, dishonorable, and weak. Right? Anyone want to say amen to that? Yes, my body is perishable, dishonorable, and weak. Now it also describes the new bodies that we will be gaining as imperishable, honorable, and powerful. It is so very difficult for us to imagine the difference that there is going to be between this corrupted, decaying body and the new, perfect, powerful bodies that God is going to give to us in heaven. As I thought about this, I thought about who I thought of as the greatest athletic body that I have experienced you know, in, in my time. And because of my age, my mind immediately goes to Michael Jordan. Right? Michael Jordan, because he was fast, he was, he was strong, he was coordinated, and he seemed to be able to defy gravity for short periods of time and fly through the air. And, and he goes over here, in my mind, on one end of the athletic spectrum. And on the other end of the athletic spectrum is my grandmother when she was 99 years old. 
Because my grandmother at 99, her body wasn't functioning well. She needed help walking. She needed help eating. Her body wasn't doing things on its own anymore. And there's a really big gap between my grandmother at 99, right before she passed away, and Michael Jordan at the height of his athletic prowess. But again, I think the scripture wants us to understand that that great difference is actually a tiny, minuscule little difference compared to the difference between these corruptible, diseased, decaying bodies that we have right now and the new, powerful, indefatigable, uh, unbreakable bodies that we will have in heaven. It's hard to imagine how great these new bodies will be that we will have to experience all of God's new creation. And as we live in them, we will also experience the blessing that God has for us of redeemed relationships. We will spend time with each other, interacting in relationships without sin, without selfishness, without insecurity. Can you imagine that? It's really hard for us to imagine that, isn't it? In perfectly redeemed relationships where we are totally loving, totally caring, totally kind, totally good to one another. It's challenging for us to, rem- to imagine relationships like that. Relationships are, in our world are so broken. One only needs to go on social media for about 30 seconds to say, wow, are relationships in this world really broken? But in heaven, we will experience the blessing of totally redeemed, perfect, loving relationships with each other. In Luke chapter 12, God is said to be putting on a great banquet in heaven. And that chapter actually tells us that God is going to be serving at the banquet. Right? How astounding is that? God is going to be serving us at the banquet according to Luke chapter 12 verse 37. Now, Middle Eastern banquets had food, but they weren't primarily about the food. What were they primarily about? The opportunity to spend time together, to relate to each other. And this idea that we read about, about a heavenly banquet, is a reminder to us, God has made us for relationships, and we will experience the very best of relationships in heaven. You ever wonder why in Genesis... The original paradise started as a garden. And over here in Revelation, the remade paradise is seen as a city. This is really hard for some of us, right? Because we we move away from the city as best we can. And yet we're told that paradise over the course of history has moved from a garden to a city. I think that the reason for that is because God's greatest creation is not nature. God's greatest creation are people made in his image. And the most beautiful and majestic part of his creation are people who are redeemed and remade into the image of Jesus Christ. And so if we want to experience beauty and majesty in what is around us, the greatest beauty and majesty that we can experience are people. People made and remade into the image of Jesus. Heaven will be a place where Erica and I can spend 10,000 years hanging out together. Jesus is very clear. We will not be married in heaven. And yet we will experience 
an intimacy and a togetherness in heaven that we can never experience here on earth because of the barriers of sin. And not only will I have an opportunity to hang out with Erica as much as I want and hang out with all of you as much as I want, I'll have an opportunity to meet brand new people. Won't it be fun to walk up to the prophet Isaiah and introduce him to my son Isaiah? Won't it be fun to go and have a chat with Jonah about whale digestion? I'm looking forward to being in heaven and talking to a believer who is saved at Friendship Church 150 years from now and just hear their story of how God worked in their life through Friendship Church 150 years from now. Because we will have an opportunity to spend time in perfect redeemed relationships with believers from all different time periods and all different cultures, every tribe, tongue, and nation, worshiping and serving God together. Now, as we, war- as we walk through this series of blessings that God has for us, we have reserved the greatest blessing for last. As a matter of fact, the last blessing that I'm going to put up on the screen is so much greater that it outweighs all of the other blessings that are up here. right? Because the last blessing is we will have complete connection with God. Total and complete intimacy with our Savior, Jesus. For the believer, getting to be with Jesus for all of eternity outweighs any prizes that we might get in heaven or any gifts that God has for us there. Jesus is the prize of heaven. He is what we look forward to most, being with God and knowing him. What what was eternal life after all? Jesus says eternal life is knowing God. And in heaven, we will perfectly know him in a way that is impossible for us in this world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're told that right here, right now, we see as through a glass dimly, but then we will see face to face. Right now in this world, we see things dimly. They're fuzzy to us. When uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were sitting at the kitchen table and she was reading an article and allergies were really messing with my eyes, so I'd gone upstairs, I'd taken my contacts out. I hadn't bothered to put my glasses on. I was just sitting there at the kitchen table talking to my wife, and she turned her computer towards me so that I could see the article that she was reading. But without my contacts in and without my glasses, what I was able to see is that there was a computer there, and that perhaps there was an article on the computer, but I couldn't make out any of the words, even the bold headline up at the top. Everything was fuzzy to me. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, in this life, our ability to know and have intimacy with God, it's fuzzy. It's hindered by our sinfulness and by the sinfulness of the world around us. But then, when we are with him, we will see face to face and have perfect connection, perfect intimacy with our God. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Notice the word now. Wait, isn't God with us right now? Yes, he is, but in a whole new and different way, in a way that we cannot comprehend within this sinful existence. When we are in heaven, he will be with us 
in a brand new intimacy, a brand new connection with us. Heaven will invade the new earth and we will stand before the throne of God. Perfect intimacy and connection with him. Revelation 22 puts it this way. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. In this life, who can see the face of God? God tells Moses, no one can see the face of God and live. Exodus chapter 33, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. There are certain things in this world that are so beautiful, so astounding, that when we see them, we're in awe of them. But God is so beautiful and majestic and powerful that if in these sinful bodies, in this sinful world, if we were to see his face, which stands for his primary glory and majesty, we wouldn't just be in awe, we would fall over dead because of how glorious and majestic and beautiful he is. No one can see the primary glory of God in this world. And yet, in that new and perfect creation, in our new and perfect perfect bodies, we're told we will see him face to face. A whole new level of connection with God that we will experience. And all of eternity will not be enough time to explore the depths of his, birth, of his beauty. All of forever will not be enough to experience his infinite greatness. Each day of our eternity, we will experience and revel in the new depths of God's beauty and majesty. That's eternal life. Forever exploring God and spending time relating to him in ways that are not possible in this life. And who is it that can have that eternal life according to John 3.16? It is anyone who believes right, to the one who believes they inherit eternal life. Which leads us to the obvious question, is that you? Have you believed in Jesus, the one and only Son of God? Have you confessed him as your Lord? Let me just have three quick wrap-up points here. First, if you're exploring what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, let me encourage you to explore deeply Let me encourage you to dig in and really go after this because John 3.16 says this makes the difference between perishing and eternal life. There's nothing more important to figure out during our few years on this earth than eternity. And so let me encourage you, if you are exploring this, explore it deeply. Dig in deep on what Jesus has to say. I'd love to talk to you more about it. I'll be here after the service. There'll be prayer ministers that would love to talk to you more. You can fill out the connect cards and say you'd like to talk more, but we'd love to connect with you more about what that looks like. Second, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, there's no greater message that we want to share with the people around us, is there, than the message of the gospel represented in John 3.16. We want to tell our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers about Jesus and what he has done in order to save us. We want to tell kids about this. Just a few minutes ago, Karine and Anna were up here talking about Awana and the need for volunteers within Awana. 
I guarantee they're not doing that because they have some sort of quota to fill or else they'll get in trouble with their boss. No, they're doing it because they love these kids and they love Jesus and they want these kids to know the gospel of Jesus as represented in John 3.16. And so they want more people to come alongside and help teach and train these kids in the gospel message that God's word has for us. And so we want to share this message that we've seen in John 3.16. And finally, believers... Let us dwell upon the message of eternal life and heaven so that it produces hope in our daily living. Let us dwell in our minds and hearts upon the future that we have in heaven in a way that produces hope in our daily lives. There's a famous story about a woman named Florence Chadwick who was the greatest long-distance swimmer in the 1950s. And in 1952, she decided to swim from Catalina Island to the California coast, a distance of 26 miles. Now, she had already been the first woman to ever swim the English Channel both ways. So she was ready. But the particular day that she chose to do this swim from Catalina Island to the coast was a day that was cold, and very foggy. As a matter of fact, she said it was difficult to even see some of the boats that were going along next to her as she made her swim. But she began and and she started to do this swim, and she swam for 15 hours straight. I think the longest I have ever, uh, I think the longest I've ever done a swim is for 30 minutes. And then I like laid on the ground for the rest of the day exhausted. She swam for 15 hours straight. She said there were many times that she wanted to give up, but her mother was in a boat next to her, continuing to encourage her, you can do it, keep going. But finally, after 15 hours, she reached a place where she said, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to do it. And she asked people to pull her out of the water. And so those that were alongside her pulled her out of the water, and she just laid on the bottom of the boat trying to come to grips with the fact that she had swam for 15 hours and hadn't accomplished her goal. As the boat went into shore, she realized that when she had asked them to take her up out of the water, she had been less than half a mile from the shore. But she couldn't see it because of the fog. And she said with a reporter the next day, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I could have made it. There are words of wisdom for us there as believers. If she could have only seen the end, she could have kept going in the midst of her challenges. So often in life, we get caught up in the daily fog. But we get caught up in all of the tasks we have to do at work. We get caught up in all that we got to do for the sake of our family. We get caught up in pandemics and elections and we get caught up in the nuisances of daily life. And God says, you guys, I've given you a shore to look forward to. An ultimate hope that is in me. And if you recognize that your real life starts on the day that you die, then you can live with hope through all of the challenges that you face in this life. God calls us 
to focus our minds and our hearts on that eternal future that he has purchased for us. So that in Colossians chapter 3, he says that we are to set our minds on what? On the things that are above. We are to intentionally drive our thoughts towards the hope of heaven, recognizing that that is what provides perspective for what we're going through each and every day and provides hope as we go through it. And John 3.16 starts us down that path of hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. One of the ways that we come together as a community and remind ourselves, drive our minds and our hearts towards the hope that we have in Christ is by participating in the Lord's Supper together. This is a time of remembrance for us, remembrance of what Jesus has done and the hope that we have because of what Jesus has done. So let me encourage you to take out these elements that you received on your way in. And you can go ahead and open it up and take the bread out. And every time we take these elements, we remember what Jesus did on our behalf. The bread reminds us that he gave his body in our place so that we might be saved and live eternally with him. It drives our minds and our hearts towards our heavenly hope. And so let me encourage you, follower of Jesus Christ, to take this bread with me today as a symbol and a remembrance of what Jesus has done in your life. Would you eat it now in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And now if you would open up the cup on the other side of that packet. The cup reminds us that Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins so that we could be washed clean and spend eternity in that perfect new creation with perfect new bodies, enjoying an, uh, a level of connection and intimacy with God that we can never enjoy in this life. And so as we take this, we take it in celebration of what Jesus has done on our behalf and the future and the hope that we have in him. And so believer, let me encourage you to drink this now in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to enter into a time now of worshiping God in song and praising him just giving him thanks and praise because of what he has done and the future that he has given to us. Let me start us by praying. Father, we're so thankful for what you have done on our behalf. You are a good, good God who has drawn us to himself and we are thankful for the opportunity we have to dwell with you in intimacy with you and all of the goodness that you have provided for us in heaven. We look forward to that, and that is our great hope. And we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen.